DiscerningHearts.com presents St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. Father Haggerty is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York who serves at St. Patrick's Cathedral. He taught moral theology and worked as a spiritual director in seminaries for 20 years. He has directed numerous yearly retreats for the missionaries of charity. He is the author of Contemplative Provocations, The Contemplative Hunger, Conversion, Contemplative Enigmas, and St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, the book on which this series is based. St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Haggerty, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I am so delighted, and I feel for all of us who are going to go on these series of conversations about St. John of the Cross, I just feel so blessed because there is so much that he can show us. It's kind of like a light. He shines a light in areas of prayer that we may not have considered or ever contemplated before, doesn't he? Well, he is, the, in many ways, the great saint who took that adventure into the greater depths of the soul, and, and he, he walked the contemplative path in a very deep manner himself, and a mystic, an artist, a great poet, and a man of great intelligence and clarity in writing about matters that affect us in the beginning of spiritual life, all the way to the heights. And so he is, as the subtitle of the book is, he's the master of contemplation. He's the master, really, of spirituality. If we need one great teacher, I think he is the, in my view, he is the premier teacher. And if we begin to soak in his writings, and hopefully the book is helpful to that, then uh, we, we cannot not be changed by, by him. It's good to be you know, aware, too, that most people are very familiar, you know, good Catholics, people who would listen to your program. We are familiar with St. Therese of Lisieux and the little flower. We love her and we've learned from her. It's good to be aware that she learned so much from her father in the Carmelites, St. John of the Cross. And as she comments in one place, she read him continually from the age of 19 until 21, and then found no other spiritual writer that could match him after that. So what we hear in St. Therese of Lisieux in her little way, doing small things with great love, self-denying, you know, life of total giving to God, this is all the background in St. John of the Cross. So he, he is a good person to try to open up, you know, into the the inside of his his his, reader, his teaching and writing. Well, if the little violets of the garden can learn from him, I hope that there's hope for the rest of us too. In that, when like as you described him as a mystic, as termed, if I'm not mistaken, the mystical doctor of the church, and that term in itself sometimes can be for some. Oh, I could never be a mystic. I'm not a mystic, and yet. You know, we've been in, baptized into the mystical body of Christ just by the nature of our baptism. So is that a word that we should be concerned about? I think that word mystical is, uh, I 
I would say for myself too, it can be a little bit off-putting, a little bit intimidating. We would think that's not my spirituality. We would say rightly so. And he's called the mystical doctor in part because he and St. Teresa of Avila, Teresa of Avila may have been more of a mystic possibly, meaning special, extraordinary experiences that she may have had with our Lord and but John of the Cross, if we identify him as primarily a mystical teacher or the mystical doctor, we actually might miss what's more important, which is that he's teaching the way to union with God. And that is the invitation to all of us in our lives to walk a path, you know, day by day, year by year, trying to put our sight on the goal which is union with God. We want deep and close relationship with God. And John of the Cross is a, to me, he's a indispensable teacher for that. And what he really teaches is not so much a path to get into mysticism. He is teaching, though, clearly the path that will cross us in a threshold of prayer and the interior life into contemplative graces in our life. In a sense, that is a a necessity on the path to greater union with God, to cross in prayer a threshold of depth in which contemplative graces begin. And then whether God gives extraordinary experiences is really, that's a mute question. It's not really important. But we're led then into greater union with God. And that's that's really where his, his great forte is, to lead us into that deeper water of relationship with God. In your book, St. John of the Cross, The Master of Contemplation, the very first chapter, I think, is so important because it addresses one of those, I, I want to call it an aha moment. In some cases, it's, I knew that, but I didn't know I knew that. And I'm speaking of the chapter that's entitled The Hiding Place of the Beloved. And you help us to see through his poetry that God is hidden from us in a subjective way, that even though objectively we can talk about his presence in the Blessed Sacrament and other types of things, we need to acknowledge that he seems to be hidden even in our prayer. Could you talk to us about that a bit? Well, that's a, a primary um, reality of our relations with God. And if we, we don't want to talk too abstractly about that because it's so real. And the truth is that we aren't always with God engaging in a transcendent mystery. Even as people gazed on Jesus and looked in his face, looked in his eyes as a human man, they were looking at the mystery of divine presence. And that we can't see, you know, simply by looking in the eyes of a man. There was a infinite mystery also in the presence of Jesus. So part of the reality, you know, what we bring up in that first chapter is John of the Cross. It may be good to mention he will write about the indwelling presence of God in a very serious manner, because that is a great truth, a great doctrinal truth for us if we want to grow in prayer, the dwelling of God in our soul, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a very real way. 
not just that, you know, we often hear people say, well, God is in everyone. True, but God is active in some manner as our creator, sustainer of our lives always. But the intimate reality of God living in the soul, in his presence, you know, his spirit in some manner mysteriously uniting with our own inner spirit, that's a primary reality for prayer. If we want to use an image for that, not to speak you know, too abstractly, you know, we all know the tabernacle contains the real presence of our Lord in a ciborium. But he is there inside that tabernacle. And you know, saints have told us, John of the Cross is teaching, we ourselves are a kind of tabernacle. And God is present in a very real way within us. So part of prayer is not just to you know, plunge down into our own self-conscious understanding of self, but to realize someone else is there in our inner being and in our inner soul. The question of the hiddenness of God is in engaging someone who is not giving us mystical experience, not speaking in you know, sentences out loud to our inner ear, but present in a silent, quiet, you know, hidden manner and inviting us, you know, in some manner drawing us to a greater longing and desire for him. The poem of John of the Cross, which he wrote in his imprisonment, the spiritual canticle, you know, begins with a stanza in which he says, where have you hidden, beloved? You fled like a stag after wounding me. I went out looking for you, and you were gone. And that longing of the soul after finding him within, and then the great lifetime effort to keep striving to pursue him and, and be pursued by him, that becomes a... Uh, you know, a central theme in, in, in St. John of the Cross. Yeah, there's a, a real suffering in that. It, just as you said, and you encouraged everyone in the book, but also, and I did, I, I, re, I immediately found the poem again, and I made a point of printing it out and just going over and reading it to the full. It is that just the longing of the heart and then being separated from the one you love. Many of us, I'm sure, have had that ache. It, it, it hurts. Well, that's part of what the cross is also uh, teaching and acknowledging. And I think people are serious about prayer, the St. Therese of Lisieux, the Mother Teresa's, all these, and all these hidden souls, you know, that lay people, sometimes priests, Carmelites, all of those people know that if you're serious about prayer over time, you are bound to have that experience of a, a longing for the one who is not absent, but in some manner is concealed. And we, I write in the, you know, that first chapter, you know, something affirming what John of the Cross will say, you know, the absence of God is not what's taking place. It's the concealment even though he's present. So, you know, to write, as I wrote in an earlier book, you know, it's really that God is playing kind of a game, almost serious game, but a game of hide and seek with us. And when you play hide and seek as a child, 
we know that it doesn't mean the person hiding is not there. They're there, but they are concealed and we can't find them at this moment. So there's a great aspect of that in, in the spiritual life where God is showing himself, giving sometimes some experience, encounter with himself, and then fleeing in some manner. You know, as John of the Cross will say in what is a poem, but also has reality to it. You know, where have you gone, beloved? You fled like a stag after wounding me, you know, wounding me with love. I went out searching for you and you were gone. You know, that reality is again and again repeated in, in spiritual life. Sometimes there's longer lengths of time in those things. And I think what John of the Cross is teaching us and which we all experience if we're serious in prayer and love for God is that longing becomes a primary means of communication for the inner spirit with God and it's true on the other side of this, too. God is longing for the soul. So it's a mutual longing of God and the soul that takes us, you know, down this path of prayer for a lifetime. For some, and I would probably say for many, and I know in my, in my own life, different periods, there will be those times where we just, we want to pray and we find that what we can offer in our prayer is a rosary. Or I'm going to sit and I'm going to read some scripture, and then I will read a commentary on it, and then I will offer that. It's moving into the contemplative nature of that, identifying that longing in our hearts for possibly more that can be, for some, a difficult paradigm. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and uh, and I think you know. In part, what part of what you're describing is, you know, the question: what to do sometimes in prayer. I mean, we might have that in human relations. You know, what can husband and wife do together, you know, to draw them into greater love, and it might be to pray a rosary together, or you know, let us go to dinner, or let us go to the park. You know, the and this is true with God also you know, what to do on our part as a, a stepping stone, a bridge in some manner, you know, to, to walk into greater depth with him. And, you know, and I, th- I think a key word, it's a key word for us in our Catholic understanding is the word presence. You know, what we're really seeking is personal presence. So, As an example, when we do pray before a tabernacle or a monstrance, you know, as Catholics who do that, you know, priests who pray before a tabernacle, we know that he's there. He's he's here in this room. You know, he doesn't speak. We don't hear things. But the presence is a very real presence. And this is what we, you know, want to do, that it's the scripture, you know, sometimes a rosary, some reflective thought, some insight is good, but the contemplative life, when the graces are present, you know, in time, in our life, that's going to convey us also, in a sense, over a bridge of activity into something more quiet and silent with God, 
in which he really does communicate a longing through the will, a longing in love, and maybe unfelt love, but a longing for him that tends to be then more quiet and silent in prayer. So one of the things, you know, as you're talking there, um, and it's good for people reading this book or growing in prayer, to be conscious that contemplative prayer, deeper prayer, it's not really method. It's not a technique we learn. I mean, a husband and wife wouldn't say, we learn the method of love. No, they learn to love. They grew in love for one another. They became, they became closer in their you know, knowledge of one another. And this is true with God. We don't learn a method of praying in greater depth. It's more that we are pulled out into deeper water with God and discover something that does res- resonate with his presence more deeply in silence. And graces are, are active there. We'll return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty, in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there, or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks, and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. I was struck that you mentioned early in the chapter that the spiritual canticle was composed, not just written or authored, but it was composed in that type of silence. He didn't have paper and pen. It wasn't as he had to do this within his heart because he was trapped. He was imprisoned, wasn't he? That poem was, uh, there are 40 stanzas in the final version but they think that 36 of those stanzas were written, or I should say, as you said, composed in silence when he was imprisoned as part of the, the uh, Carmelite, I want to say revenge, but their desire to narrow down the reform that had begun by St. Teresa of Avila, in which St. John of the Cross joined as part of the men's reform of the Carmelite order. And he kidnapped about seven years into his priesthood and kept in a eight by 10 foot converted closet, which only had a little bit of a slit on the top of the wall for light. 
And so in that darkness, literal darkness of most of his days, he, who was a natural poet, you know, he's read even now in Spanish uh, universities as one of the great poets of that period. And he composed in his mind, his heart, his soul, this poetry of the spiritual canticle, which is lush in beauty and natural images and modeled somewhat after the Song of Songs in the Old Testament. Certainly, you know, it's a remarkable thing, a man writing, you know, of his longing for God in a very great time of dark trial in that way. And perhaps it's a lesson for us too, that there, there are great graces sometimes mysteriously in the times of darkness and trial in our life. Yeah, it, it's so compelling, isn't it? The fact that he is completely stripped of even space. I mean, space to be able to walk or to maneuver to do eight by ten. I it just it it boggles your mind. I mean, of everything that could possibly distract, so he is brought to the absolute barest of essence of presence. But he's speaking a truth that if we were in those same circumstances. We are, I'm in a room that is filled with books, and it's huge, and it's just one room of many books and of uh, means of looking out into the world through the Internet and through television. And even in a large church, I can be distracted by so many different things that I can never get to that core of what's calling me like he was. Is he identifying that something and stating something that if we were – stripped of all those things he's identifying that something that's in essence in all of us well we would say you know potentially we all could have you know deep deep relations with god but i i think he was also you know the saints are of another level too than us in many ways and john of the cross was on his way to great sanctity before that he wanted to be a carthusian at the time he first met Teresa of Avila, I think five weeks after he was ordained a priest. But he had already this great depth, I think, in him, even at a young age. You know, he was precocious in that manner. And then, you know, in God's plan, you know, all of these things are in divine providence. So his own dark night of the soul there in the makeshift prison cell, that became a, maybe that broke open, ruptured open the, the soul of John of the Cross. And, you know, and then the poetry poured out much of his writing then is commentary using the stanzas of his poems as points of departure to comment on, on aspects of spiritual life. So he's, uh, I mean, to me, he's, he's remarkable in that sense. He's a very pure soul and, and, and also very hidden. He, he wasn't recognized, you know, so much. I think the Carmelite sisters saw more in him than perhaps his own friars did. And by the end of his life, he was undergoing persecution by his own order. I think they, they say that John of the Cross, he died young at 49. His own order was going to send him to Mexico. And as part of the, this is in the 15, he died in 1591, but they were thinking of sending him 
to one of the new missions that the Spaniards had in the New World, you know, our own United States, I think on the California coast or Mexico, to get rid of him, get him out of the province of uh, Spain. So God has his own way with different people in these things, but it's a remarkable thing that a person, I think most of us would go insane maybe with, you know, maybe not, but, you know, eight months he was there in that converted cell, eight straight months. And he only had a, a somewhat uh, friendly, sympathetic friar taking care of him at the end, who then at the very end gave him some paper and a pen to write these poems down. And then I think probably left the door open for him and John of the Cross was able to escape one night. You know, to stay in that kind of darkness and solitary confinement, that could break a person or it could, can, and, and if you have a saint there, it might be, you know, it ruptures open something of great beauty and love in a life. You mentioned the little flower, Teresa Lassou, and how she was so taken up in his writings and his poetry. And it's really the, the beauty of his song of his heart that comes out, particularly in the poems, but in everything he says, that it's the heartbeat of the little way, isn't it? I mean, this longing to, where are you, Lord? And she sees it in the sister that she continues to help that no one will help. Or in the case of Mother Teresa, who learned from both of them, their examples, John and Therese, finding him in the distressing disguise of the poor, truly the, the hidden, the, the ones that no one knows. Well, I think John of the Cross is, uh, you know, the primary thing he's teaching is, is love. And in one of his aphorisms, which are beautiful to read, you know, 25 pages or so in his collected works, these aphorisms, one of them, he says, in the evening of life, you will be examined in love. Learn then to love as God desires to be loved and abandon your own ways of acting. You know, John of the Cross is teaching, you know, love is going to be found in that very, in that hour, you know, in that time, in that, perhaps that deprivation, you know, in prayer, in that poor person, you know, in that small act. And I think this is what he's teaching to He's teaching us, especially today, if we can temper down and limit some of the, you know, the accumulation of distraction that can surround us in a modern existence, then we might have a greater concentration on the immediacy of love in, the, in that hour, in the current hour. And here's another phrase in, in, a, in an aphorism, deny your desires and you will find what your heart longs for. So many of those statements are, are worth much thought over time. You know, it's not just practice Lenten, you know, little sacrifices, but deny your desires. And it doesn't mean you become just an empty nothing. You will find what your heart is really longing for, which could be buried by the many things that we, we, uh, we seek and, you know, when we're human beings and we have many things that we go after in, in, in interest and, you know, in preference, deny some of this, deny, tame it down, narrow it. And then what happens? God begins to rise up much more in our life to show us perhaps 
the opportunity of love in, in, in our daily life much more. Would you say, in just in closing this particular part of our conversation, Father Haggerty, that for the listener out there, that maybe in learning from John of the Cross and from, I'll, I'll just say daughters, ultimately spiritual daughters like Therese and Mother Teresa, that is just acknowledging that we are looking for him. There is hide-and-go-seek, as it were, that that's a real thing, and that's okay. And how do we find them? What would you say to that that person out there who is beginning to desire to learn from John of the Cross in this? Well, it strikes me when you, when you say that, you know, there is the statement of Jesus in the Gospel in chapter 8 of John when he's speaking of his father, and he says, he, has never, he never has left me alone because I always do what is pleasing to him. And that's Jesus speaking in, in his union with his father, but it's a great statement for spiritual life that he will never leave us alone if we're striving to do what pleases him. And that's not just good behavior. You know, if we're seeking, I think what these saints did you know, missionaries of charity tried to do it, Mother Teresa's sisters, the Carmelites, to do things that could touch, you know, the heart of our Lord, whom we can't see, but who is gazing on everything. And if we're living in some kind of, you know, very real relationship with him, the things in a day are there in front of him. I remember on a retreat some years back in Calcutta, and I was talking about the Missionaries of Charity fourth vow where they to do free and wholehearted service for the poorest of the poor. And I said to the sister, I said to the sisters in, in the retreat that Jesus' words in the gospel, you did it to me, are so beautiful. And in talking that that's a privileged thing to do that with the poor. You can do it to him. And a sister came to me after the talk and said to me, you know, Mother taught us we can do to Jesus in everything. We can touch his heart. We can give pleasure to the heart of Jesus and delight in everything, every small sacrifice, how you sweep a floor, you know, how you put a, uh, you know, a, a bowl in front of somebody, you know, what you do with a smile towards someone. You're touching the heart of Jesus there. And I think John of the Cross is teaching a background in that kind of approach to spiritual life, that if we lose ourselves, you know, as the gospel says, for him, then not only is our exterior life affected, the interior life of death begins to open up much more before God. Thank you so much, Father Haggerty. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having me. You've been listening to St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty. This series is based on the book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, published by Ignatius Press. Visit ignatius.com to obtain a copy, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app.
This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, with Father Donald Haggerty.